leading the way for your family to worship the Heavenly Father. I think one of the reasons why we see the pattern of, of dads leading spiritually in the household in the Bible is because when, something special happens when you become a father, and that is you never lose your way. And so since I've become a dad, I've never been lost ever. I've always known where I am, uh, even if it seems like to the rest of my family that Google Maps isn't working and I'm not really sure where I am. I'm just testing them to see how much faith they have in me to know exactly where I am at all times. Sure, when we were younger, maybe we had a hard time getting from science class to English class or something like that. Or maybe we had an awkward first date where we weren't really sure what to do with our hands or what to say or that kind of thing. But man, when you become a father, you just, you just know everything at that point moving forward. And it's just an amazing thing. I know my kids love that about me, that I have the answers for everything and I always know the right way for them to, to go. Okay, maybe that's not exactly true. About this time last year, I was impressing my wife with my knowledge of the New York subway system because somebody recommended that I downloaded an app and told me exactly where to go every time. And so that was amazing. And the key through getting uh, to where you want to go, even if it's not necessarily a location on a map, maybe it's a place you want to be in in life or it's a, na or it's a relationship that you're trying to navigate is having some sort of guide, some sort of map, maybe even some person in our lives who's been where we're trying to go and they help guide us through it. And as we look in John chapter 14 this morning, that's precisely what we're going to find through this next I am statement from Jesus. For the last several weeks, we've been inching closer and closer to Jesus' crucifixion. Um, it, today, as we get into the story, you should know that Jesus is in his final hours before his arrest and before he is killed. And in this moment, Jesus has gathered in a room for a last meal with his closest friends, the apostles, and he's telling them about what is going to happen. It's a pretty somber moment, but Jesus doesn't really want them to be too upset. Even though it seems like the world is about to end, Jesus wants them to know that not only is what he about to do necessary, but it will change everything from that point forward. And so in John chapter 14, Jesus says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And so Jesus, after he raises from the dead and ascends into heaven, is going to one day come back and claim his faithful followers. And as he's talking to them, he's talking as if they know exactly what he's saying. Uh, and quite frankly, they're actually a little bit confused. He says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. But one of them, Thomas, in verse 5, says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Now, some of you are going to know who Thomas is because you think of him based on the nickname that I would argue somewhat unfairly is given to him. His nickname is Doubting Thomas because of an interaction he had with his disciples after Jesus' resurrection. He hadn't seen him yet. And so he said, hey, unless I actually see the holes and I touch put my hands on them. I'm, I'm not going to believe that Jesus has come from the dead, but it's not really that fair because back in chapter 11, if you've read that account, when we were talking about Lazarus, it was Thomas 
who told Jesus that he would follow him wherever he went. Now, Jesus hadn't been in the area where Lazarus is because the religious leaders of the day were actively seeking to kill him. And Thomas in that moment was ready to follow Jesus anywhere, even if it meant his death. And so it's natural that Thomas would be the disciple who would speak up and say, hey, wait a second, I'm, I'm actually really want to know the details of what you're talking about, because wherever you're going, I want to go with you. And so Jesus is talking about going somewhere and preparing a place for those in, who believe in him. Uh, Jesus gives Thomas and the rest of the, the disciples this I am statement that explains exactly where Jesus is headed and why they should want to come there with him. Jesus answers in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so not only is Jesus telling them that he is the way, the truth, and the life, how they're going about their life as followers of Jesus, he's also sharing with them the destination. Because really, that's even more important than the how to get there is why we're going. Jesus is going to the Father to be with God. And this isn't a mystery as we look through Jesus' ministry and we study what he taught and what he led people to think and believe and do. Jesus talked about his connection with God, the Father, all throughout his ministry. He continues to promise to establish a kingdom uh, of God here on the earth. And he's saying, if you want to get there, follow me. I am the way. You know, this is actually one of the reasons why our mission statement is helping people follow Jesus and love God. Because as we progress down that idea of, hey, Jesus has called us to help other people so that we can know that Jesus is there, we find him, and ultimately that leads us to a love of God that helps to start that cycle of helping people find Jesus and love God all over again. Because it's, it's one thing to believe in who Jesus is, it's a whole other thing to go with him to where he's going. Mankind has done a lot of looking for God ever since existence came into being for us. People have gone on pilgrimages. We spent time in isolation to find God or seek him out. We sought out gurus. We've meditated. We stand by the ocean or look at the stars and wonder what's the purpose of it all? Where did it all come from? Why am I here? We look and we look and we look for God. It's been a quest to find God that some people have arrived at a conclusion that he's nowhere to be found and maybe that he doesn't exist. And the problem is, is when we're looking for God on our own terms to fit in with our own expectations of what we should find. And because of that, we don't understand what we see when we do look. It's because when we expect God to meet our expectations, we won't be able to see how he exceeds them based on who he actually is and his character and nature. That's why it's been so important that we've been studying Jesus' I am statements and how he describes who he is. Jesus says, if you want to find God, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except for me. In verse 7, he says, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then Philip speaks up and he says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And if we're honest, at least if I'm honest, Philip probably sounds like most of us who want to see something to kind of back that statement up. And maybe Philip is looking for some sort of Old Testament-like vision of God that Jesus can produce, something that will give him a reason to believe that what Jesus is saying is true. Uh, but instead of giving him that, Jesus answers him in verse 9 and says, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. 
How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. And one of the things that we talked about early on as we started into the sermon series is the significance of Jesus saying, I am. Especially in John chapter 8 when Jesus says this, the religious leaders of the day lose their minds because essentially Jesus is equating himself with God when he says, I am. And so one of the things that Jesus is being very clear with his disciples about is that he is God, that God sent Jesus as part of himself here to the earth for us to understand how to get to him, how to find him, how to see him and follow him. Uh, later on in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, Paul writes this, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. And so if we know who Jesus is, we know who God is. This is Jesus' first reason that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, of course, there are a lot of people who have claimed that throughout the centuries. There are a lot of forms of belief and ways to God that have been talked about. And so maybe you would rightfully say, yeah, but where's, where's the proof in all of that? And so Jesus doesn't just stop there. He continues on in verse 11 and says, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe in the evidence of the works themselves evidence. Jesus tells his followers here, and I believe that he communicates the same thing to us as readers of the text, that yes, I want you to believe in me because of what I'm saying, but, but you don't have to stop there because there's also evidence of who I am based on what I do as well. All throughout Jesus' ministry, he's performed miracles in front of people. The disciples have been there to witness it all, unthinkable, supernatural things that don't just happen. Last week, we saw a man raised from the dead. Jesus supernaturally fed thousands of people by multiplying bread and fish. He's walked on water. He's calmed a storm with his words. He's shown his ability to know things that no one else could know. He's restored vision to the blind, let the lame walk, and the terminally ill be healed. And this evidence had caused thousands to believe. And it will keep his disciples with him along the way as Jesus teaches things that are harder and harder to accept as he is the way, the truth, and the life. And if that wasn't enough, in the next three days, Jesus was about to present the biggest piece of evidence anyone could ever ask for. He's going to go through a very public arrest, trial, execution. Hundreds of people were going to see him die. And then three days later, hundreds of people were going to see him alive. In fact, later on in Paul's letters, he would refer back to people who were still living that people could go and ask and say, hey, what, what happened here? What did you see? So Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm, I'm curious, and maybe this is, just seems like a, a little part of minutia in early church history, but did you know that Early on, Christians didn't call themselves Christians. In fact, that was kind of a pejorative term that was given and placed on them uh, at the time. In fact, when they were, the early church was beginning, they simply called themselves followers of the way. There, you see, there's a lot of conversation about religion in connection with Jesus saying, I'm the way and no one can come to the Father through me because, you know, that seems pretty exclusionary. Uh, people from other religions and worldviews are excluded by that statement. All religions cla basically claim to be a way to God or some sort of way to perfect existence, but Jesus claims to be the only way. 
In fact, he's antagonistic against the other major belief systems of his day. He calls the religious leaders of the Jewish people whitewashed tombs. He calls them a brood of vipers, snakes that are out there for themselves, that are missing everything. He, even in his I am statements, is speaking against the religion of the ruling empire of the day, the Greek gods and goddesses that the Romans still continue to hang on to in their belief. And so when Jesus says, I am the bread, he speaks out directly against Demeter, who's the goddess of grain and bread. When Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, he speaks out directly against Apollo, who's the god of light. When Jesus says, I am the gate, he speaks directly against Janus, who is the God of transitions, the in-between, the moving from one place to the other. When Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, he's speaking out directly against Pan, who is the God of the herds. And when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he's speaking out against the goddess Athena, who was the bringer of word and truth from Zeus. See, all these things that we're looking for and that we desire in this life, Jesus is teaching all along the way that he is the way to those things. And yet, even they aren't the point. Even in Rome, by the time Jesus had come on the scene, they were starting to look away from their gods and goddesses to people who were ruling them. They were starting to call their own Caesars gods and pushing divinity onto them uh, as a more direct representation for where they thought their hope was coming from. And Jesus is correcting all of that. I'm really hopeful that we'll keep that in mind as we move closer and closer to another presidential election season. Jesus' goal wasn't simply to create another religion, another way to God. The goal was point to point back the only way to God, the way life was always meant to be lived based on how God created it to be through the good news that Jesus had come as the way, the truth, and the life. The way is Jesus. The truth is God as our creator and as our sustainer. And the life that we're called to live is sustained through his Holy Spirit. It's exclusive, it's limited. There's only one way and it's only through Jesus and yet all are welcome. And when we get it right, and we point others to Jesus, to the way, we'll be able to point to the evidence that shows the way as well, the truth and the life. The good news is what we call the gospel. And there's a difference between just religion and religious expression and what we expect in the gospel. Religion is what man does for God. The gospel is what God did for man. Religion is man's search for God. The gospel is God's search for man. Religion is man trying to climb up the ladder of his own self-righteousness with the hope of meeting God on the topmost rung. The gospel is coming down the ladder in the incarnation of Jesus Christ and meeting us sinners at the lowest rung. It feels good to find what you've been looking for, but it feels even better when you know that somebody's been looking out for you all the way and is ready to take you to where you need to go. I'll never forget uh, the New Yorker who took the time to see, not that I was lost or anything, but that it was obvious that Renee and I weren't really sure where to go next. They took time out of their day to let us know what platform the subway we really should be on and that helped immensely so we didn't go the complete opposite direction of where we needed to go. Maybe a lot of us grew up in Christian homes or at least, you know, something Christian adjacent we knew about Jesus. Maybe we've even heard the words, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except for me. Maybe, maybe that's something that we've heard before, a phrase that we know about, and yet there's still plenty of us 
who have heard those who have who've left the way of Jesus to the side. We've left it untried. And yet there are even more people that don't know about the life that Jesus came to give. And one of the things that we do as followers of Jesus who walk the way that Jesus walked, who talk the talk that Jesus talked, as we experience the truth and life uh, from God that we're called to is that our lives then become an expression of what Jesus came to do through the resurrection. That as we share, as Jesus calls all of us to do as disciples, as we share throughout the entire world who Jesus is, the gospel, as we baptize people, as we teach them who Jesus is, that then that becomes the way that other people see the way back to God. Jesus says, I'm with you always to the very end of the age, and he's with us as we continue to live out the way that he has given before us. It creates a whole new world, a whole new way of living for our lives. One of the things I I just want to take a a quick aside and celebrate is this week, uh, Pierce Pennington was baptized, which uh, which is amazing. It's one of the evidences that we see of a changed life. As we continue to press forward and celebrate together who Jesus is as a body of believers, we see the results of that happen. If our church family, if the message of Jesus has been a refuge for you, if you've discovered forgiveness and peace that comes from knowing Jesus, then it's on us to then be a part of the way that Jesus shows others. We get to invite other people on that same journey with us. Jesus doesn't call us into being passive consumers of the church to simply just believe that he is who he says he, uh, he is, but he invites us into the incarnational living of being the way to truth and life for others. Because the way of Jesus is built on the truth about life. As we navigate things that come up in our life, maybe these days and the events of of things that are happening in our world today and we're not really sure where to go next, Jesus calls us to his way because that leads us to the truth about life. And so as we follow Jesus, as we navigate our lives and the things that happen around us, then the evidence of Jesus changing our life starts to become the hope and the peace, the faith, the winsome love that we were able to share with others, regardless of what else may be happening around us. And so as we move into a time of celebrating communion together, as we do every week at Velocity, I want to ask you to use this time of communion to meditate and to pray and to really think through what it means to be guided by the way of Jesus and the truth about life that that reveals to us as we navigate whatever may be happening in our lives or around them. Let's pray together as we share in this time of communion. God, there are all kinds of ways that people can live their life, and yet you call us to one way through Jesus. And God, we ask that you guide us with your Holy Spirit so that we're able to drown out the noise of all these other ways that we're invited to take part in so that we can see the one way that you call us to. God, we thank you for the changed life that it brings to us, the changed status uh, that it gives us as followers of God, that we can look forward to Jesus' second coming, 
that we know that we get to be with you because of what Jesus has done, the way that he has shown us uh, to live our lives. And God, we ask that as we live that out ourselves, that you show us the opportunities that you have given us to share that same way with others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.